You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and on tonight's show, I've got some fantastic interviews mixed with a roundtable the likes you haven't heard in a very, very long while. So stay tuned to the show, and I promise we'll keep you entertained. The Blue Jays have done nothing short but provide uh, entertainment for the fans in yet another walk-off thrilling, this time Grand Slam, with perhaps the most monumental display of relief pitching you will ever see in a single-game series. I mean, four hits was all they limited them to in over 16 innings. It's uh, quite astonishing. And timely hitting, timely home runs. Nice to see this team returning to its versatility of being a, a proficient solo home run hitting team. And now they find themselves faced with the dilemma of having yet another mediocre baseball club come into town in the form of the LA Angels and then the Chicago White Sox. And those are six winnable games. And on tonight's show, we're going to talk about what needs to happen, what could happen, and how we're supposed to feel about the future of this team as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. So with me now is the assistant baseball coach for Wright State University, who runs an absolutely phenomenal website called steelbases.com. It's an instructional website that teaches base stealing. Matt Tallarico is on the show. Matt, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing good, Ari. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, it's my pleasure. We tried to do this earlier, and I had to take a bit of a break. And now that I've returned, I made a note that I needed to speak with you because, you know, you're a true teacher and a philosopher when it comes to base stealing in organized baseball. Help my listeners understand why the value of speed is constantly being underestimated by front offices across Major League Baseball. Well, you know, I think, you know, pro baseball might be a little different than than college. I I don't think it is. Um, I think for a long time, stealing something from our perspective that we recruit you either have fast players because that's what you believe in or you don't. Maybe from the pro mm. standpoint, you either draft them or you don't. Um, you know, and I just don't believe that's true. I believe you can teach it. Um, yeah, if you have some really, really slow players, it might be out of the question. But they play 162 games. I mean, I even think those slow players can find those, those areas to steal. I mean, Yachty just stole third the other night on a three mm-hmm. count, you know, pro to me, pro teams have much better access to video. Uh, they face, they, they're very aware of who they're facing uh, for us on the mound since we steal off the pitcher so much, but also behind the plate, uh, pitch tendencies and things like that. I even think the slowest guys out there can find, you know, through 162 games, they can find their opportunities to play a role and help, you know, help get 90 feet closer. So what I think has happened is I think, you know, with Moneyball and Sabermetrics coming in, they say, whoa, 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 now we don't want to risk it because if you can't steal at a 70% success rate, um, it's not worth going. My argument is learn to teach it, and you shouldn't be below a 70% success rate. I mean, if you look at my team's – at Wright State, my teams a few years back when I was an assistant at the University of Dayton, uh, we weren't under 70%. In fact, we were above 80% the last two years, and a lot of people who are members to my website, they're also, you know, I'm not in the high-risk, high-reward business. I'm in the low-risk, high-reward. And I think it's, you know, if you look at it from a different angle and say, hey, we can teach base games, we can teach these guys some weapons, I think pro teams would be back on board. In fact, if you look in the World Series since 2008, 
at least one team in the World Series has had 100 or more stolen bases. So it's not that it's, mm. people are still doing it. And, in fact, when they do it, they seem to be up there. Yeah, there are teams like the Brewers or Diamondbacks who, as of um, the last few years, have stolen a lot of bases and haven't seen um, maybe the return, but there's a lot that goes into it. So, uh, in my opinion, yes, yes, it's gone down, um, and there's not as much value. I don't agree with it, though. You know, I think it can mm. be taught, and I think if somebody jumps on board and begins to teach more and more, I think they're going to see see results, in my opinion. Well, and there's no question that there's so many benefits associated with it beyond just being a strategic component of baseball. What fan doesn't like a double steal or a or an attempt in steal of home? Could you not simply make the argument that by teaching more effective in how you develop players and teams to use speed as a weapon, it really benefits the fan enormously from a competitively entertainment perspective, if you will. Definitely, definitely. I think the brand of baseball that we play um, at Wright State or teams ahead of Dayton is very high energy. You know, it, to us it's like Oregon football when they were having those teams where they were scoring on every possession. It's like you're going to score, we're going to score, let's see who can keep up. You know, now we emphasize pitching and defense too, so we we like to think that's a reason why we've been so successful. Um but, yeah, it's an exciting style of play. When you've got – when our um, center fielder gets on base, who was third in the country this year, um, when he gets on base, it's exciting. People know he's going to go just like when, you know, Raja Davis or, um, you know, a big-time base dealer gets on base in the pros. Everybody gets excited. It's fun, and it, it, get, it, it puts pressure on. It's not – the stolen base is irrelevant. Like, actually stealing the base is irrelevant. The, the pressure you put – on the defense, when you're in that other dugout thinking, oh, we better be a little quicker to the plate, we better call a fastball on this count because he might go, should we pitch out here? All that stuff adds up. And when you face a whole lineup that you don't have that pressure at all, you can just do your thing as a pitcher and just get out. I don't want the pitcher to have that freedom. I want the pitcher to, you know, think to himself, did I work enough on controlling the running game? So I think it's exciting from a few different angles. Absolutely, and there's no question that regardless of the caliber of pitcher, once that speed game is in the pitcher's head, that added pressure of knowing that you need to be responsible for runners, well, it's no surprise what kind of kind of an impact that can have on, on the flow of the game. I'm speaking with uh, Matt Tallarico of SteelBases.com. You know, Matt, I, I grew up with the Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman era of base stealing in Major League Baseball, where a team could have a game breaker who not only could pile up the stolen base numbers, but be a, a, a persistent threat and that they would execute the bunt game to get themselves on base to create that. Why did it seem like teams were more intimately concerned with legitimate leadoff hitters 20, 30 years ago that speed is a prerequisite as opposed to what seems like a luxury? Most leadoff hitters in major football aren't exactly known as speed demons, but more like guys who can, quote, run. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I do think it is interesting. I think it's interesting when they put um, Schwarber leading off or something like that. I do understand the logic of, like, if I have a an elite-level hitter through 162 games, let's see how many times I can get him up, you know, versus how many times if he's hitting fourth or fifth. I do think that makes sense. Um, I think it's in the brand of ball you, you want to play. I, I, I agree that a lot of my favorite players – 
uh, growing up were like Ricky Henderson, guys like that. And back then, it's like we got to go find a guy that flies, that leads off, that plays center field, and that doesn't seem seem near as important anymore. But I do think when you run it, I just know from being in the other dugout, when the other team has a guy like that, it's incredibly uncomfortable. So I think um, going up, I think some of these guys uh, being taught to steal and being taught to play that role versus a lot of guys, it's okay to strike out. It's okay to, uh, we don't want to put the ball on the ground. We want to put it in the air. And I get all those arguments. I'm not on the show to argue about that. But I do think when you talk about that, it's like, well, if we're going to have a guy that's going to punch out, he might as well be a guy that's going to hit 40 jacks for us. So I think it's just a little bit change in the theory, and I'm sure it's going to change back. I, I, this stuff always does. But um, the brand of ball we like to play, we don't have to be the Ricky Henderson runner. You know, we're going to have guys that are uh, very average runners play a, a role in stealing bases because we teach those guys just as we teach our fastest guy. They know when they're going to be successful. They know when they can go. They, they have the green light. We don't give a lot of signs. So whether while I feel teams like the Cubs are playing a very um, progressive style, we are also playing a progressive style in that, you know, we're aggressive from one to nine. It doesn't matter how fast or slow you are. When you come in, you're going to get treated like the fastest guy, and you're going to at least know where you can be successful. And that pressure is the style we play. And we feel that's very progressive, too, in a different way. So let's turn our attention quickly then to the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Matt, and help me understand how you feel about them using Jose Bautista as now an entrenched leader and what you would do from a team-building perspective to make them more effective in generating offense. It's been a problem for them the entire year, and yet here we are testing their rationale that Jose Bautista his above average on base percentage is the best man for the job. How do you feel about Well, I'm a little different when I answer this question because to me, I would handle this in kind of in spring training and, you know, how we're going to build guys and how we're going to have guys um, that, to play the style I like to play. We're going to have to teach guys like Batista have a role stealing bases. I think if you're not going to do that and make the investment early and say this is something we're going to con- consistently study and work on and make important to everybody, Batista or anybody in the lineup, uh, you can't just come in now and say, uh-oh, we're not scoring any runs um, or maybe not not providing the offense we think we should. Maybe we should turn to this. I think this is something base dealings like hitting. You can't. You can't just pull one of your pitchers and expect him to be successful hitting. Uh, he hadn't worked on it, you know. So yeah. I, I do think it's kind of a philosophy that's got to come from the top, and it's kind of got to kind of be what you, what you do and what you guys work on, and know that it's what's going to make you successful. Our guys know that it's a part of what makes us successful. That's why we do it. That's why they get excited about it. You know, we we broke the stolen base team record this year, and. Um, we are. We had uh, an individual. Our center fielder broke the record for a single season, and when he did it, the whole team knew about it. You didn't have to wow. tell anybody. They all knew he was one away. It's what we take pride in, and they can do that too. We also like hitting the ball out of the park. We like that too. It doesn't mean you can't do both. So that's my opinion, though. 
Very good. Very good. Tell my listeners, Matt, about your website, steelbases.com, and maybe some of the projects that you've been uh, currently working on. Yeah, well, you know, I've worked with, um, you know, I'm very lucky to be an assistant at Wright State. I'm very, very fortunate. The staff here, Coach Mercer, Coach Metzger, Coach Sogard, Coach Burke, Diamond Hall. I mean, those guys, Diamond Hall is uh, our mental coach that was on your podcast. Uh, a week ago, I believe, and what what a great mm-hmm. asset he's going to be. I'm sure your guys know about him from Twitter and stuff like that. But um, my my the coaching staff I work with has been nothing but supportive when I started this website. And pretty much, the website takes my last ten years of coaching and all the work I've done to kind of develop this system, along with some help with some mentors like Mike Roberts and guys like that that um, have helped me along the way. To, to start this system and make it easy to teach video series where if you go to steelbases.com, you unlock all the videos, and then you can pretty much sit there with your son or with somebody in your baseball team or make it what your team does and you want to work to have a, a high-energy offense and you just follow the videos. It's got uh, practice plans. It's got an e-book. It's got all that stuff on there. I, try, I take a lot of pride in this. Um, if you're not interested in buying anything, you don't have to go to the site. There's a lot of free stuff on there, too. I just want to have a place where guys that think a little bit like I do can get value out of the website. So I'd appreciate if anybody goes and looks at it. And I, I really believe in what we do. I believe if you invest in it, I believe it's going to help your team score runs. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do, score more runs to win more games. And I believe uh, the system I put together really does help that, and it shows – we led the nation when I was at Dayton from a team that never stole before. We were top 25 team three in my five years there. In my first two years at Wright State, we took a team that didn't steal more than, I think, 75 bags. We were second in the country last year. Um, so, I mean, it's proven to work at this level. And in my opinion, the hardest level to steal bases is not professional baseball. It's college baseball. When these coaches care about pickoff moves, they do rehearse plays over and over and over again. You've got guys um, in the pros that are willing to be a 1-7 to the plate, and if you steal, great. They don't care. They're going to throw the ball 96 miles an hour and get the hitters out, where we've got to deal with some pitching coaches that put together plans to stop us. Um, so I take a lot of pride in what we do and the website I put together. So. Apparently so does your dog as well. His name is Matt Tallarico. You can find him at uh, on Twitter at Coach Rico, and, of course, there's Steel dot com which is an website that teaches base stealing matt i can't thank you enough for coming on the jay's journal podcast and letting my listeners appreciate something that isn't talked about enough which is the value the power and the investment that comes with developing the right kind of speed game and uh, occasionally stealing a base which is something we don't see enough around these parts um i certainly hope to have you on the show again soon matt all right thanks a lot i appreciate it i'd love to come on anytime and and talk about base or anything else with baseball. Thanks so much. My next guest is a prolific blogger, the author of such books as The Last Angel and City of Slaves. I'm pleased to have writer Stephen Burns join me. Stephen, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, Larry. Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. I know we were going back and forth for a while, and we finally had a chance to uh, to find a time to talk Blue Jays. And, of course... You know, I, I noticed on your Twitter feed, you recently posted a fan graph which outlined the worst slugging percentage versus left-handers 
in the majors, and four of the 15 names of that worst 15 list were Blue Jays. Now, considering this is an area that management supposedly addressed with the acquisitions of Morales and the rise of smoke, what's your theory on what exactly is transpiring this year with this 2017 edition of the Blue Jays? Well, well, when you look at the four hitters, I mean, part of it's regression. Um, you know, Bautista and Tulowitzki have clearly regressed. Um, and, you know, whether, you know, it's age, uh, which is what it seems to be, or whether it's injury, um, Tulo's been battling a groin issue all year. Uh, Barney's another name on the list. We don't expect him to, to nest, you know, to step up and, nest, and hit. Uh, lefties, we don't. That's not why he's there. He's just a bench player. But, um, but I, I think there are other issues with the team that are problematic, and in the sense that the offense isn't what we expected. It's uh, completely one-dimensional. But we sort of knew that going in. Um, you know, it's the to me the the biggest surprise is the pitching. We've been very lucky the last two seasons. I think we had eight starters last year. Um, you know, and, and we've had all kinds of injury problems with the rotation. Uh, we're not sure what's going on with Estrada. We're not sure what's going on with Mariano. Um, but the biggest regression for me has been the defense. And I and I feel like that's just been understated. I, I feel like we haven't talked about that enough. It's been mentioned, but uh, we know Pilar's ratings are down. Um, and you wonder if his sort of all-out style of play – uh, the, the beating that his body has taken over the past couple seasons, um, you know, we knew it, we, what, what he was as a hitter, but he's still valuable as one an elite center fielder. Um, mm. Donaldson's had injuries, uh, and as we said, Tulo's range, uh, you know, that left side of the infield that two years ago was, you know, basically a wall is now leaking. And Goins has regressed. I don't think anyone saw that coming in the field. Um, so we have pitchers putting the ball in play. We have two of the most extreme ground ball pitchers, Sanchez when he's on the mound and, and Stroman. And uh, they're not getting the defense behind them. Um, so I think that that would be the one surprise for me out of, out of everything. Knowing that you are such a huge admirer of this team, are you subscribing to the notion that the season is, for all intents and purposes, done and that the Jays should start making trades to maybe compete in 2018? I'm wondering what your thoughts are, knowing that we are at this junction right now where fans' confidence has all but bottomed out. This obvious four-game winning Oakland, especially in the manner that it's being done, is restoring some confidence. But really, for the average fan right now, the question becomes, when will they stop being this when will this mediocrity end? What's your thoughts on this franchise moving forward? Well, I would say a couple of things. Number one, um, I, read a, I read an article today they, suggesting that they should just give away Estrada and Liriano and sell low for pennies on the dollars. I don't agree with that. It's mm. baseball. So while I, it doesn't look good, we all remember the run that the Rockies went on in 2008. They went 15-1. and one. Um I think it was 15 and one or something like that down the stretch to get into, and they made it into the World Series. And what is the point of selling right now? That I think, I think if you get a, if if somebody gives you an offer that makes sense, and whether it's an organizational ten like top ten prospect, 
for Estrada, that's okay. And if you really believe that he won't be able to fix it or turn it around, um, then you, then okay, then then I'm fine with trading him. But I don't see the point. And there's you know we've seen teams that have interest. Uh, the Cubs have expressed interest in Liriano. There have been other teams, especially coming out of the bullpen as a lefty. We forget that when you look at Liriano's stats, for example, this year uh, he's been dynamite against lefties. Um, it's the righties who are lighting him up. And so could you get something? We saw what, you know, Philadelphia traded Neshek. Maybe that sets the bar for Joe Smith. But for me, I would suggest that we hold on a little bit longer. We got six games coming up against very weak opponents. And it's baseball. You know, like two weeks. A two-week mm. run puts you back in the wild card conversation. And once you're in that wild card conversation, you know, uh, I just, they're not going to be able to rebuild through a trade unless you're going to trade one of your cornerstones, whether it's Stroman or whether it's Donaldson. And do you want to do that? You have an electric fan base. You've sold out. What are you selling your fans then for next year? So you're not going to trade one of those guys. You're probably not going to trade Osuna. So what to do going forward, you're going to have to walk the line, I think. And so if you get a good prospect for Joe Smith, like a legitimate prospect, then trade him. But don't trade pennies on the dollar. This is a veteran team, and maybe they can make a run. You know, maybe this this four-game series with Oakland, we saw it today. They, They did something that they hadn't done earlier in the season. Um, by overcoming, battling back. This is not a team that's given up. So, and they're not going to. It's not the nature. Just look at the excitement the other night when Morales hit that game-winning home run. Who were the first guys off the bench? Donaldson, Bautista, right? Mm. Stroman, Stroman going nuts. Um, well, he always goes nuts. But, but you know, mm-hmm. so I would not, I would not give up yet this season. I just think that the the nature of baseball is such that there is a chance that they can come back. And unless you are getting at least equal value, then we have what 60, 60 million coming off the books next year. Right. So, that's right. right. So then we'll, you know, then you add next season, you know, it's a really fine line for Shapiro and Atkins to walk, but I think they need to walk it. And I think they're trying to do that. And I think in time you'll see the team, as we replenish the farm system, uh, we'll be able to do what Cleveland's doing. And then I, you know, why not? They did it in Cleveland, and here they have a bigger paycheck, right? I'm speaking with blogger, author, and optimist Stephen Burns. What made you so enamored with this game, Stephen? I mean, it's clear from your words and from your perspective on what's going on that you have a real love of the game. Where did that come from? Tell my listeners. Well... I played, I started when I was five years old, playing in T-ball. Um, my dad was a coach. He coached for 35 years in, well, in minor baseball. Um, and I played until I was 21, junior ball. I was a third baseman and catcher. You know, like Donaldson, but not like Donaldson. <laughs> and um, I coached. And there's a, I think as a writer, too, there is a, baseball is probably, with the possible exception of golf is the most literary of sports and certainly also the most cinematic. And there's a rhythm to the game 
that when you grow up with it and you fall in love with it, baseball is summer. And so as a writer, I enjoy that aspect of it, that there is, it's not frenetically violent. Um, it's not highly paced. And I'm a Raptors fan and a Bills fan and a Leaf fan, but baseball is different, right? Mm-hmm. It's a rural game. And so I think there are a lot of writers who are naturally attracted to that. And, of course, when you play growing up, um, it, it becomes almost just kind of a sanctuary, a safe place. Uh, and I think it's been that for me. Well put. Well put indeed. And I've had other authors and and uh, literary figures come on the show, and they've all pretty much echoed that same sentiment. There's something <laughs> so sublime about this game, so organic, that from the perspective of, tor- of storytelling, it's amazing how it can truly fuel the imagination. Um, tell my audience, speaking of imagination and, and literature, tell my audience about some of the things you've done in the past, what you're working on, and how they can find you. Well, they can find me at stephenrburns.info. Um, that's my new website. I have two books. Out. You can find them on Amazon. It's a dystopian series. Uh, the first one's called The Last Angel, and the second one's called City of Slaves. Uh, the third one, Winter, will should be out in the next month or two. Uh, right now I'm working on my first noir detective novel. Uh, I grew up reading Robert B. Parker uh, and other mystery authors as well as fantasy authors. So it's about a former cop who writes a best-selling novel uh, the day his wife leaves him, and he swears he'll never write again, and he disappears and becomes, you know, sort of a Jack Reacher type for about four years, and he comes back Mm. home to Toronto, and he's not sure he wants to live anymore. He, He was so distraught at losing what he thought was the most valuable person that he'd ever met. He meets a young goth woman and agrees to help her find her mother, who she hasn't seen in 10 years. And that leads him down the road to all kinds of things. So I'm working on that, and um, we'll see. I'm not sure when that will come out. I'll have to check with my editor and, and, and go through that. But yeah, stephenrburns.info. Feel free to shoot me your email if, uh, if anyone out there is listening is... Uh, you know, interested. I can give you more information. It's been a ride. <laughs> are, are, are you a writer? So it's been 25 years. And uh, wow. yeah, so I remember putting to sleep a girl that I used to date in my early 20s oh, with really? one of my stories. <laughs> she fell asleep. Uh, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. It takes a while, to, you know, and persistence and, and, you know, all of those things that we talk about in sports, right. Um, to build up that craft. And so that's, that's one, one reason I think I like the tie in between sports and, uh, and literature and writing, you know, you're facing that empty page. All right. No one's, no one's forcing you to do it. There's no gun to your head, you know, and you suck for a long time and you have to be able to just get up and go to work, you know, with no one prodding you or telling you to do it. It, it, and, and again, it's not dissimilar from athletes, like from athletes and athletics, they do it too. Right. You look at a 
and this is not baseball oriented, but you look at a guy like Tamar DeRozan, how many hours did he spend in the gym uh, over the past nine years? So, uh, or Marcus Stroman recovering, right. right? Remember the stories of him at Duke. And, and so I think that's part of it. So, but yeah, I would love to hear from anyone and you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen R. Burns. Uh, that's Burns, English Burns, not Scottish Burns, <laughs> like a fire. <laughs> there you go. And, of course, that nice touch of the theater of the mind, uh, sirens in the background as you were discussing the narrative of the dystopian <laughs> thriller. I'm sure it was not lost on my audience. His name is Stephen Burns. He's an accomplished author and blogger. Be sure to check him out at Stephen R. Burns. Stephen, it's been a pleasure. Looking forward to having you on the show very soon. Thanks, Eric. Nice to talk to you. So now we get to my favorite part of the show. As I promised off the top, I've got Chris Henderson and Jeff Falbo with me for what I like to call a studly mini roundtable consisting of men who think they know far too much than they probably do. Gentlemen, I want to ask, and I'm going to start with you, Chris. Uh, Blue Jays sweep the Oakland Athletics, the worst team in the American League. Two blazingly wonderful walk-off moments. What are we supposed to think about all this? You know, I'm I'm struggling with it myself lately because I've I've been kind of negative, not uh, you know not down in the dumps negative, but I've been kind of on the full bore. Let's trade guys and retool and you know that sort of thing. Giving you, up on the you season. You're changing your mind, Chris. You trying to you dare well, tell me in this season that you're actually changing your mind? I didn't know it was possible. No, you know it's not necessarily that I'm changing my mind, but I think that uh, you know I think there's reason for the fans to still keep paying attention because suddenly this is a talented team that hasn't played up to its potential all year as far as I'm concerned but you know it's, there's only been short stretches that that they've actually played like the team that they expected that we expected them to so if they can catch a hot streak and there's enough baseball left that uh, even if they do trade a few guys that are on expiring contracts I think there's enough talent in the lineup that uh, it's not uh, it's not worth shutting your tv off yet well Jeff I don't know about you but can we agree to stop even talking about injuries and player regression as if that's not something that is unusual. I mean, this team is just underachieved and this is their chance to maybe have some comeuppance, but they just haven't played well. And I know they've, they've had 22 players on the DL and I know that, you know, guys are, are getting long in the tooth, but no one expected this many quality players to have these kind of seasons this year. But, but it's not just the injuries. It's even when they've come back, it's been poor offense right from day one. The one and nine mm-hmm. start has been absolutely horrible. And I've written them off from that one and nine start. That month of April has been horrible. So mm. <laughs> like all other fans, I've just been clinging and waiting and waiting. But this offense, like, yes, they swept Oakland four games in a row, but their offense wasn't there. It was the pitching that carried them through. Their offense is just not good enough, and when your top players are hitting uh, a buck fifty or two fifty or less, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still, I'm still in the trade them all mode. When your bullpen produces over sixteen innings and allows four hits, that's literally the bullpen saving the bacon of the team, the entire team. And and to even think about tinkering with it when you can control virtually all those assets tells me this team's going to look very similar next year. We're going to see Barnes and Tapera and Biagini and Osuna. And, and we're going to see the kinds of relievers that should be there, like Joe Smith. 
so I, I'm not even sure why we're even hearing these rumors. I mean, when the bullpen can save you like this and produce a winning streak, Chris, isn't that a reason to stay invested in it and, and make upgrades in that area to make it a continued strength? Yeah, and I think that's kind of when you look at the bullpen. I think that's a, a huge strength of the team. And I think if you're talking about trading pieces this year, you know how great of production have we really gotten from Marco Estrada or Francesco Liriano? So, you know, if those starts are going to other people, I don't know that it's going to get a lot worse than what those guys have produced this year. Well, and uh, June, June nine ERA. Remember that? What was it? Nine point six here. Marco Estrada in June. Are you kidding me? Yeah, so, I mean, he's, he's that, been just dreadful since uh you know he had a good april and may but uh but things have just fallen apart since june started and uh you know so if you trade those two guys if you can get something for either of those two then i don't think you're that that uh much worse off as far as contending this season goes i think if you get a a decent return for joe smith you trade him because he's on an expiring contract and maybe you can resign him in the off season whether he finishes the year in toronto or not but uh you know i don't think yeah i don't think that we're going to take a big step back if we make those trades yeah, I think as far as uh, Estrada has gone, or Lariano for that matter, I think their value in the trade market has completely plummeted. I mean, if I'm a contending team like the Dodgers or the Nationals or any other team, I mean, would you trust those any of those guys, what they've shown you in the last month, to go five innings? Because no <laughs> I don't even think the Jays trust them to go five innings. So they might as well keep what they have. I mean, yeah, he could be good insurance, uh, you know, you know, spot start here and there, but mm. the Jays aren't going to get any quality in return. It's just going to be a salary dump to, to shed those contracts. So then is the play simply to free up as much contract space as possible, take what is essentially the core group of this team, bolster them with maybe some free agent signings, and bridge the gap all the way to 2019? Because can, can we agree that 2019 is the gateway to the next cultural reality that is the Toronto Blue Jays. Once Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. become part of the left side of the infield, you know, uh, what do you think of that, Jeff? That's like a, that's a whole new mentality. So this notion of them blowing it up or rebuilding it is as far-fetched as it gets. I think they'll do very little. I think this will be like trimming a little bit of the fat off the steak, but it's the same, you know, Black Angus order from the beginning. Correct. And I don't think Rogers wants to peel it back right to the studs. Because Ari, as, as Ari and Chris, you guys are aware, I went to the Blue Jays game on, on Tuesday. There was 40,000 people in the house. Um, the concession prices are ridiculous. I mean, they just need fans in the seats. They need still the attention on the team. They're still making money. Uh, the, the TV numbers are still actually really good. So uh, to do a complete rebuild, they're going to lose a lot of eyes. And by losing a lot of eyes, they're going to lose a lot of numbers um, and a lot of dollars. And worse, the budget is going to go down and then all the fans lose out. So I think they're going to trim a few contracts here and there. Uh, they're going to probably get not your blue chip prospects, but there's a gap in the farm system. The, the A and high A system is really stocked with a lot of talent. But where right. the Jays are lacking is position players in Double A and Triple A that are on the verge of filling in the lineup. There is such an invisible gap there um, that I think the Jays are just going to pick up a few controllable contracts, not good players, but like average players that that will get them to 2019. And then you know we'll see. To put a lot of pressure on uh, Vlad Jr. and Bichette is a lot to ask for because a lot of things can happen. 
but they need players to actually get them there. And, and I think that's where a few of the trade pieces um, this year are going to get us a few of those uh, uh, fill-in players uh, to get us there. See, and I would agree, except uh, one part that I, I don't think it's realistic to think that the next core is going to put us in a, in a position to be contending by 2019. I think they'll be arriving by 2019, but I don't know mm-hmm. that um, that we can ride the backs of Bobochet and Vladimir Guerrero and, and the others that are, you know, in the high A area. I do think that they'll make the, the big leagues by then, but I think, you know, as, as with all rookies, most of them are going to need a, you know time to uh, adjust to the major league game. Sometimes that means bouncing back and forth. I, you know, they are they are elite prospects, and I expect them both to be great major leaguers. Um, but uh, to me, if they – and I agree with you guys. I think the trimming of the fat is going to be the approach as well. But to me, I think 2018 is another year they can look at contending, and then it really is going to depend on how that goes as far as the 2019 season goes for me because I think you can sell the team on – or I think you can sell the fans on sort of a – a transitional year where you know Donaldson may be gone and Hap is gone, but now you've you've got a few of the pieces that are there, and so 2020 is when I really think that that that's when the next core is going to be uh, going to be good and ready to compete again. But I could be totally wrong. Prospect, you know, well, speculating on prospects is difficult. Let's let's be candid. It falls within that controllable element, right? I mean, you both. Are, are very, I know you're both sticklers for this when we talk about, um, you know, uh, imaginary trades and trying to predict what will happen and, and take into consideration how, how the value of a prospect is measured. But to me, it all comes down to what kind of talent you have that's controllable. And we know, look at the controllable elements until, as you said, Chris, the 2020 window, and as you mentioned, Jeff, uh, basically bridging the gap that you know, guests on my show like uh, Ian Hunter and Jason Woodell and Jesse Goldberg Strasler all talked about because of their minor league expertise. That's a frightening gap that presumably we will bridge by having Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Roberto Asuna, uh, Devin Travis be part of that nucleus, which is controllable and market them as the great players that they are. So shouldn't, isn't that then incumbent upon management to say, hey, if we take the 60 or 40 to $60 million we free up, why not really spend it aggressively so we can bolster the fact that if we then re-sign Josh Donaldson, there's less pressure on the kids on the left side of the infield, and now we can contend all the way through for the next four years of guaranteed revenue and income. I feel like I just solved everything, by the way. Someone step <laughs> in and tell me I'm going crazy, because it makes it makes total sense to me, doesn't it? Oh, well, I, you know, it's funny. Just as you're talking here, I was just kind of punching into the computer just to double-check on the, the controllable years. You know, I do think that you have to take advantage of a window when you have a, a guys that could be dual aces, you know, and an elite closer, you know, building that core around those pitchers that you mentioned. I do think you have to take advantage of those windows. But I also, I'm also concerned about uh, Aaron Sanchez's future, just uh, not because I don't think he's talented. He's extremely talented. But uh, I just have been so discouraged by the how long it's taken him to get back on the field this year. Um, and just taking a quick look, you know, 2020 is the last year for both Stroman and uh, Stroman and Sanchez's contracts. So I do think that the Jays will need to spend, and that may not mean long-term contracts, but they, I think they do need to bring in some pieces and try to take advantage of this window because it's kind of a mini window after the window that we've just experienced having that mm. kind of elite little group to build around. And let's, mm. let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Aaron Sanchez hired Scott Boris as his agent. Scott yep. Boris is not a guy that gives hometown discounts. He is not a guy that says, oh, let me give the team a break. 
he is going to get maximum dollars, and he is going to squeeze the Jays for every penny that is available, because if not, Sanchez is gone, and he's going to go to the highest bidder. That's the way Boris works. And if Sanchez hired Boris, Sanchez doesn't want to leave any dollars on the table either. So I'm a little concerned with the future with Sanchez. Either the Jays got to somehow find a way to <laughs> ante up the money now, uh, but uh, we're definitely not going to see any Chris Archer-type deals uh, coming Sanchez's way, that's for sure. And when well, I say Chris Archer, uh-huh. I mean like team-friendly deals. Well, and, and, and this is why some of those sunny gray rumors are intriguing to me because, any, first of all, any opportunity to deal with the A's is an opportunity you know this organization is willing to take. They have that track record. But, if, but that's a really great point you raise, uh, Jeff. There's a real concern with him, concern in so many ways. I'm worried about how this year is going to affect him psychologically. He can't stay healthy. He keeps getting blisters. Meanwhile, Marcus, who doesn't get nearly the same kind of focus, attention, love from the organization in terms of how they use him as a spokesman, um, is usually dismissed as being this diminutive, you know, wunderkind who managed to pull it off, but really he's just lucky. He's become their most important big game pitcher, one that they haven't had for a very long time. I personally think that uh, Stroman has moved ahead of Sanchez. Sanchez, as far as the fans ace, um, you know, but uh, certainly another season or two will tell who's actually the legitimate pitching ace, and I think Sanchez will become the better pitcher. But uh, as far as fan favorite, uh, people are definitely getting behind uh, Stroman a little bit more than they are Sanchez at this point. Yeah, and I wouldn't argue with that at all. I think Stroman has kind of, you know, he's he's grabbed the he's grabbed the ball and ran into this year, and and it's been an absence of Sanchez. It's been the underperformance of of Estrada and the injury struggles and underperformance from Happ at times. Uh, you know, he's just been the one guy in the rotation that we can't actually count on. And I, I think there is great potential for them both to be considered kind of the ace type. Um, it's just going to be a matter for me of whether or not they can stay healthy. And I, I do believe Stroman's. Um, you know, I don't see any reason to to uh, doubt his health. You never know with any pitcher. But uh, Sanchez does concern me because he's just uh, I don't know. It's been too many times this year, and I don't know. I don't know what they got to do to get him back on the field. I mean, Ari, well, anything can happen. Anything can happen with pitching. I mean, two years ago, yes. if you told me the Mets didn't have the best future in pitching, um, you know, no one would have disagreed with you because the Mets starting five and the youth outside of Bartolo Colon, I mean, they had probably the, the best young pitching core in all of Major League Baseball, and this year it's just completely fallen apart for them. I still have a Ricky Romero jersey hanging in my closet, so... <laughs> <laughs> What's astonishing is that there's no way for me to edit that out for some reason. So <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> everyone will know <laughs> the infamy um, and the irony, of course, because it's you had the jersey of the man that they probably shouldn't have taken and now probably appreciate the one that they have that they don't want. I mean, now I'm, I'm confused because Troy Tulowitzki makes my brain hurt. And my concern now at, at, at this moment is wondering, with this sweep, are you both confident moving forward that they can continue to capitalize, maybe take five out of six against uh, L.A. and Chicago, and then maybe have this kind of old-fashioned Western standoff where they look straight into the eyes of the best team in baseball and, you know, Aaron Judge and company and basically show the fans, hey, this is what we're made of. Any any hope, uh, Jeff, that that might turn into a noteworthy story a week from now when we have the next roundtable? 
uh, are you are, are you still uh, hedging on the fact that they might actually actually get to 500 at some point this season? Oh, I mean, the fan in me says, yeah, I'd love to see that happen, but I'm even against this Oakland team, uh, their offense still hasn't shown up. <laughs> it just so happened that they showed up uh, in both cases uh, in late innings, but uh, I mean they've only scored I think one game was three runs, another game was four runs. Uh, another game was five runs. I mean, we're still not seeing the offensive outbursts that we've seen in years past. It, not one game I've seen this year where I say, yep, the Jays have it in the bag. I mean, I just think about that. Think I about just that. haven't month, seen it. That's terrible. That's terrible because somehow that, that month and a half, Chris, of some of the most high-impact, high-octane offensive baseball we'll ever see around these parts in September of 2015 has somehow managed to carry over all the way until July 2017. Why is there still that mentality? Why do fans still think that this team is some kind of magical offensive juggernaut waiting to explode when in reality, if you look at the kind of talent that they have, should they be one of the top offensive teams in baseball? Or is this just the result of really, really horrible underachieving seasons? There, it come, there, I mean, there comes a time when every player starts to regress, and I think we've seen that a bit from Batista this year. Uh, you, know, I, you know, he's not terrible, but he's not the Jose Batista that we remember five years ago. But I think, you know, you mentioned Tulitsky a minute ago, and today today was uh, – he's been frustrating to watch in the last few weeks. But to me, today was kind of a telling thing. I didn't feel – I don't feel like – he's healthy because uh, either that or his attitude is, is just in the tank. And I don't, I don't think that's the case, but the way that he was going towards home plate and got thrown out by Matt Joyce uh, earlier in the game, he was just kind of looked to me like he was out for a Sunday jog and uh, it just didn't look like there was any sense of urgency whatsoever. So, I mean, if he's trying to stay on the field cause he's got a hamstring that's ready to go any moment, fine. But then, you know, I think I saw you even tweeted something earlier or today. I think it was you. And, uh, you know, if, if he is hurting, then then why are they sending him? But if he's not hurting, then what is he doing? I don't understand what the, what was going on there. I took your topic altogether. I took, oh, your, no, ch- no. took your topic and changed it altogether. But uh, <laughs> you just mentioned Tudowitzki, and that got my brain rolling. Yeah, but look at, look at, Ari, look at the highest-paid players on the Jays. Mm-hmm. Look at the highest-paid offensive players on the Jays. You have Tulowitzki, who's not even batting 250. Um, who's who? Uh, he hasn't even hit double digits home runs yet. He's been injured. Then you look at Donaldson, who doesn't look 100. percent Yeah, he, he looks like he's trying, but uh, he's not doing 100. percent You have Russell Martin, who's who's batting under 250. You have Batista, who's batting under 250. I, I, it's just mind-boggling to believe that that this is the core of our offense and they're not even hitting anywhere near what they should. And it's not even like the power numbers are there because they're not. I know these guys know. stink this year. I, I, I can't filter it anymore. This is how frustrated no, I am. They just outright stink and all of them at the same time suck. This is late night uncensored G's Journal podcast, by the way. Um, so, well, I think you hit on please. a good. I think you hit on a good point there, Jeff. You know, just uh, they've all all those guys you just talked about. You know, with their exceptions, obviously, but most of them. You know, Batista's been the kind of guy that hits two fifty, and Russell Martin. You know, he's had a few good years, but he's been that kind of guy that hits in that area. But they used to hit with a ton of power and be tremendous power threats and double threats, and and that's been the greatest difference. Is that uh, 
you know, if when the other guys, when Devin Travis is hurt and there's nobody on base for their the odd home run that they do hit, you know, that's where we end up with games where we're winning with only five hits. Like I think that was last night we had five hits and won the game. Which, that's the that's not a good sign. Chris, it's scary because yeah. if you think about it, okay, you have Tulo at twenty million, you have Martin at twenty million, Batista at nineteen, and Josh Donaldson at eighteen. That's almost eighty million. That's half of mm-hmm. the Blue Jays payroll and those four players, and they are not even coming close to what their potential is. Not even their career average. They they are all four of them are having a down season. And when half of your team's payroll isn't even showing up to play, this is why the Jays are last place in the uh, AL. Well, and that's what makes, uh, to me, that, I think that's what makes 2018 so intriguing is because you're right, there's like close to $80 million in those four players. But I don't, I do not see Jose Batista coming back unless it's on a tremendous discount. Even then, I, I think the Blue Jays will move on from him. I, I do think Josh Donaldson is still a great player. I don't know that he's been healthy all year, but I, I have faith that he's going to be back to to valuable anyway by the time next year rolls around, or at least hopefully he can stay healthy and be that way. But two guys that do concern me, obviously, Tulowitzki's the, to me the most concerning, uh, just because we've got a few years left of paying him $20 million a year, and uh, he's barely replacement level at the moment. Russell Martin's always going to be a great defender, but uh, we need more on offense from him out of a guy that's making $20 million as well. well so. In all fairness, I think we should give him more credit than that, as much as I know some people wouldn't, because he has 21 RBIs this year and he's getting paid $16 million. It's 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 astonishing how much he's dropped off <laughs> offensively. But defensively, yeah. when I consider the carousel of incompetence this season um, with the Blue Jays, and now, of course, with the king of shenanigans, Montero, because in the past uh, few nights of baseball, I've seen some Montero throws that may miss, you know, Maley and, and Olmert and, and at this point, Pat Borders. I mean, literally, Pat Borders at whatever 58 years of age would probably impress us more than what we've seen with our, with our backup catchers. So I don't mind tolerating, if you will, Russell Martin's contract, because I think fans will look at it as a long-term investment that it was. We all knew when he was signed that it was a pretty outrageous deal. I mean, I know it was the good old Canadian boy coming back, and you want to give him some kind of incentive to come here, but good Lord, that contract from day one, Jeff, I remember you telling me, oh boy, it's going to be great now. It's not going to be so great later. Well, we all knew when that contract was signed, it was to stabilize the pitching staff, and uh, we had some young pitchers coming up. So, has, has yeah, we knew the, worth, right? the half a run's worth we've gone down since we've had it. Yeah, but you that's, know what? That's significant. Yeah, I, I mean, like, uh, you look at some guys, like, <laughs> you, you take a look at uh, a guy like Ryan Goins. Okay, fine. What he lacks on the offensive side, he makes up for on the defensive side. But certainly when it comes to Russell Martin, he's stabilized as much as possible the starting staff because they've looked fantastic since he's been a Blue Jay. And we all knew that for the first year or two, even two, two and a half years into that contract, he would be fine. And like any contract, the last year or two, or maybe a year or two too long. But, you know, as far as still getting those starting five prepared and ready for every game, I, I still think he's one of the best out there in the major leagues right now. Yeah, and I would agree with you guys on that as well. It's just, uh, you know, further to just the money, the money part of it. Um, I, it doesn't. It's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be the money pit out of those four that it has been this year. I do think there is some value with uh, 
with Martin for his contract, and uh, Batista's going to be gone. I think Donaldson's more than capable of living up to his, but uh, Tulowitzki's is the one. I don't know, I'm picking on him tonight, but I feel like that's a common theme on Ari's Twitter as well. <laughs> well, I think well, it's, he, I he's going to be the he's going to be the uh, the Justin Smoke of uh, 2016. I think everyone's going to be picking on him. Just he just has. I mean, my personal opinion, and I've talked to Ari about this, Chris, is I think his Hall of Fame career is done since he's been uh, since he's come to Toronto. He's no longer a Hall of Famer. He, he's just completely fallen off the the, the mark. He's, he's 50 points lower in his average. His slugging is gone. His defense is still there. The guy can't stay healthy. Like I, I don't think he gets to the Hall of Fame anymore. But it, it's done since he's come to Toronto. He's, he's derailed. You know, hit, and that's not unusual with a lot of Hall of Fame players, is it? That that you uh, that you think should be in the Hall, but when you look back at the career, you look at the last six to eight years, and you say to yourself, "Wow, that was a pretty ordinary, you know, uh, Wayne Gretzky-like finish to your career." But I mean, this is this is not like getting eighty points in eighty games. This is like getting eighteen points in eighty games. He's he's like you said earlier, Chris. He's he's practically a negative WAR player. He was about two weeks ago when I mentioned it to someone, but since then he's rebounded. Yeah, he's been been a little bit better, but again, just that running running to home plate earlier today oh. was just I, I don't know something something about that just just either I, I don't I don't want to accuse him of being that apathetic because I don't I can't imagine a, a guy being that competitive that's that's shown that much of a competitive nature in his past. But yeah. so I don't think it was apathy. I just to me it's like okay, well if he's hurt, then why is why are you sending him or you know. Yeah. Well, guys, I was at the game Tuesday night, and there was a shallow pop-up. I mean, it could have dropped in, but it was a shallow pop-up. But he was stuck in no man's land. He he was exactly right in the middle of second and third base. So even if the guy caught it, he was going to get uh, uh, doubled up at second, which actually happened. But even if it dropped and dropped right in the guy's lap, he would have been gunned out at third. I, I mean, just his base, base path decisions... He just he just doesn't look confident out there, and, I, and I'm sure that's probably what the problem is. It almost seemed like uh, one of those one of those Chinese finger puzzles where you just basically said, if Rivera knows he's healthy, then he was probably apathetic. But if Rivera knows that he's injured, why would Rivera send him in the first place? It's like a really bad riddle. This whole season has been rife with those kinds of calls at third base, and as a result, Rivera and, and both Gibbons get heavily criticized for it. But I, I just think this team has hit a, a level of, of bad luck and underachievement that's been basically equal parts what it is for the fans. And, and, and that's why I feel bad. I, I was on the radio early, earlier tonight, and I said that injuries can't be an excuse. It's a legitimate excuse to say you've had 22 players on the DL and that you haven't had one cycle of one through five on your pitching staff that you know, brought you the wild card last year. But at the same token, you have to acknowledge, as you both said, the level of regression. Uh, Pilar is offering nothing from center field. We're not getting anything from second base since Travis went down. The team's not getting from the left side with with shortstop. Uh, Pierce finally, the real Pierce showed up and and got rid of the imposter. So we're getting something out of left field. But Bautista is hit 221 and and has at bats where sometimes I think he's on a completely different you know, alternate dimension baseball team. He doesn't even know where he is. So it's kind of deflating to see so much regression uh, as a result of underachievement combined with age. And that's, I think, the reason why that, that many fans look at the team and say, hey, they're the oldest team in the league. Are we really surprised? 
No, but you know what? Uh, I, I think defense, Ari, especially team defense. Okay, even put all the offensive numbers aside. The, the, the team defense, uh, I mean, I, be, uh, okay, I haven't hit major league level, but defense, whether you play basketball or hockey, doesn't matter what sport, defense is effort. Okay? Offense is a, a God-given gift, but defense is all designed around effort. And uh, the team defense stinks. I, I think it was the Detroit yeah, series yeah. or the Boston series where I'm just shaking my head saying, oh, my God, what team is this? Like, balls going through the left side like, like it's Swiss cheese. Uh, I, I, it just the, the effort isn't there. It's almost like they've given up. And, uh, and it, it, it's so inconsistent because some games they're, they're not bad and then other games they, they mailed it in. They're, they're done. Uh, so I think the effort collectively may not show up as the results. That's as polite as I can say it, Ari. Very diplomatic. <laughs> well, we've needed to be because it's like walking on eggshells. You know, fans fans are hungry. They've received a taste of what it means to be competitive in the half competitive baseball in 2015 and 2016, even though the irony of me saying that when all three of us know the real competitive baseball has been maybe a grand total of two and a half months over the last two years, right? This team has been decidedly mediocre, if not for that late season uh, surge that allows them to get into contention and then stay there. Um, Unfortunately, they put themselves behind and everyone's predicting doom and gloom. My question to you now, is it insanity to suggest that at this stage in the game with 60 games left and where they are, that they uh, can make the playoffs? Ari, I, I'm going to stick to my guns from after the month of April, and I'm going to say there is no way the Jays make the playoffs. Um, even if they have a 2015-like comeback after the trade deadline where they went 41-17, and 17, that still gets them to, what, 87, 88 wins? They're not going to do it. They not basically have to. Am I right on that, Chris? Seven hundred baseball, I think, in order to reach. Uh, they are with. I'm sorry, with this offense, that that what I've seen this year, it, the pitching is still okay, but with this offense, it's yeah. not going to happen. That's fair. So, no way. That's fair. That's yeah, fair. and I'm you know I'm with you on that, Jeff. I don't think that there's. I have very little faith that there's much of a chance of them contending. The one thing I think that if if it's going to happen and I'll throw this out as a glimmer of hope for the fans that are listening. To me, if it's going to happen, they need to win five out of six or six out of the next six and add something to the roster. And that feels like a pretty far-fetched scenario right now because this team just doesn't – there's just too many There's too many holes right now. You know, their the rotation's not performing. Uh, you know, the pieces that are there aren't, aren't – performing to the way that we need them to. Uh, or some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, second base, I feel like we need to add a second baseman if we're going to be actual contenders. And, but I, I don't see the Blue Jays adding unless it's with an eye on next year. And I think Ross Atkins, uh, unlike our previous GM, uh, Alex Anthopoulos, Ross Atkins is not going to be selling the farm to save his job and reputation in baseball to get players in here to salvage this season. Um, no, you know, no, it, it's just he. not no, going to happen. Implying that he that he would. I guess what I'm saying is, should there not be an implicit fan expectation that they will spend money on this team? Same way that you've indicated, Chris, that if they do reel off reel off, say five out of six or win the next 
games that management says, you know, even though it doesn't look like we really should win, we're at least going to give you a keep coming out for 60 more or at this stage, you know, 54 more games. Yeah. To me, if if they're going to make an acquisition, it might be somebody like a Jed Lowry, like we just saw from Oakland. Somebody that's mm. on an expiring contract who's not going to cost very much at all. I agree with you, Jeff. I don't see them putting any kind of significant assets into the season. Maybe they could have uh, if they performed better to this stage, but mm-hmm. I think you're right. I don't. This front office isn't looking at this as, a, as something where they need to save their job. This is a team that was largely constructed by the by the group before them. And so this is kind of an opportunity to not tear down what's there and make their own team, but they're really going to have a chance to put their own footprint on the roster next year, especially, you know, if Batista goes as we expect, or at least I expect that he will. Uh, It's just another foundational piece that's gone. Uh, Strata, um, you know, Liriano, I guess Liriano was brought in last year, but, but uh, the more of those kind of pieces that go, the more that I feel like this front office will, will feel like they finally have a chance to put their print on this team. So I do think it's possible if they win five out of six or six out of six, they could target somebody like Jed Lowry. But otherwise, I, I don't think they're going to be spending. And, and even, Aria, I think that it, unless the Jays get a significant offer for uh, a guy like Estrada, I mean, if they're just going to get a guy, uh, I, I have a feeling they might actually just keep him and uh, see if they uh, can sign him on the cheap sense. for next year. Well, you know, he was he was he was integrated into the media machine, right? He became part of the PR element for and especially when they did that documentary on his family. He's an inspirational story. And he's a a player that has held opponents to a two or three average in back to back seasons for the same team. So I think it's just a loyalty issue. I think Estrada wants to stay a Blue Jay. And I think management would love to find a way to keep him here in a reasonably fair capacity. Should there be a concern, Chris, after what you've seen this year, that the league has started to figure him out and that maybe it's not worth investing in what he brings to the table? To me, I wouldn't re-sign him unless it was on a pretty cheap deal. And and at this stage, his struggles have gone on long enough now that – that it's concerning. You know, people have blips and they have struggles and they have to figure do a little mechanical tweak here and there. But, but um, you know, based on his skill set, the guy barely touches 90 with his fastball. He relies on changing speeds. Um, it's, it is concerning. And uh, if it were me and he was a free agent, you know, I might give him a one year, seven or $8 million deal and take a, take a gamble on him. But I mean, the guy's almost had a 10, an ERA of 10 over the last two months. And who wants to pay for that? <laughs> Ari, the only way I'll sign Estrada back is if uh, Navarro comes back from family leave and decides to be our backup catcher. Um, because be the miracle round that Estrada has had in back catchers ha- has been a disservice to him as well. So I think if they can get a quality backup catcher um, and you can get Estrada under $10 million, I think 5 to 8 would be ideal on a year or two. Hey, uh, he'd be worth it. This is great stuff, guys. I want to wrap this up because we've had a fantastic roundtable. We've covered everything in every conceivable random direction. But I want to get uh, your last words, uh, whoever wants to start. Give me your opinion on, on what fans should be prepared for realistically that will happen at the trade deadline and tell me why. Yeah, I, I we've talked about it quite a bit here tonight, but I, I think it'll be a relatively quiet deadline. Um, if they can get any kind of offer for for those guys that are expiring, whether it's Estrada or Liriano, I know Liriano's got some interest as a left-handed reliever out of the bullpen, so maybe there's an offer that comes in that's reasonable enough. But 
but you guys have touched on great points too that uh, the ownership wants to make sure that the fans keep coming out as they inexplicably have uh, throughout the season um, and so trading away people just for the sake of trading them uh, doesn't necessarily make sense even if uh, even if you can save a few bucks in the, in the process if they feel like they can uh, save a few dollars that they can allocate for next year maybe but otherwise uh, I think it's going to be relatively quiet uh, I, I agree with that, Chris. I, I think Lariano is as good as Don. You might see a couple of uh, rental arms that came out of the relief uh, pitching, out of the Jays' bullpen. But other than that, you won't see any position players go. Uh, I, I still have this feeling that Estrada won't go anywhere because just his value has dropped so much. And Batista, well, you got to be a pretty unique team to want Batista on your team Um I, I, I'm not sure. I think, unfortunately, Batista's linked to Toronto, and I can't see him waving his uh, 10-5 rule. That's what I call harsh, powerful, insightful observations this evening on the Jays Journal Podcast Roundtable. You've been listening to Chris Henderson of JaysJournal.com, the site expert, and, of course, Jeff Falbo, former writer with DeepLeagues.com, a uh, quick shout-out here. I'll do this again. You can find Chris Henderson at Baseball4Brains on Twitter. And you can find Jeff Falbo on Twitter as well, at GFalbo13. Gentlemen, thank you for finding the time this evening. We will do this again soon. Thank you, Ari. Always a pleasure, Ari. Nice to chat with you, Jeff. You too.